Bigfoot Society would like to thank the following sponsors for helping make the podcast possible. The Singular Fortean Society has combined open and honest paranormal investigation and journalism since 2016. Visit the Society at Singular Fortean for all the latest weird news and more. Come with us and investigate the impossible. Lauren Smith is the hostess for Nightcaller's Bigfoot Radio, which has been on air for over a decade and has completed over 300 shows. Lauren brings with her a unique viewpoint given that she is not only the daughter of one of the veteran female Bigfoot researchers in the South, but she has been conducting field research since she was a preteen some 20 years ago. Nightcallers is a Bigfoot world favorite, and along with interviewing researchers and witnesses, often features interviews with guests from the documentary film and entertainment industry. Lauren also does a vidcast segment called Nightcallers, which features real encounters sent in by viewers. You can find all of this and more at nightcallersproductions.com. Welcome to the Bigfoot Society Clubhouse, where we discuss a new or old topic in cryptozoology every week. Just hang out and have a good time. I do need to let you know that by hanging out with us on stage and talking in the discussion, you are giving consent to uh, being recorded, which will be used in a future Bigfoot Society podcast, uh, YouTube video, could be anything that you could imagine coming down the line. Uh, if you're not comfortable with that, uh, please go ahead and move on down to the audience. Uh, sit back, relax, have a good time. Again, thanks to all for uh, hanging out, and uh, let's just have a good time. All right, well, thanks for hanging out, everyone, with us during uh, live uh, Wednesday night Bigfoot Society uh, podcast. This is the Bigfoot Society Club on uh clubhouse of course and i've got a few panelists with me and also i've got a uh, greg my moderator here in the room but uh, guys why don't you go ahead and uh, introduce yourself first i'll start with alex sure hi how's it going everyone hope everyone's doing well tonight uh, thanks for having us on jeremiah and for putting this together always an awesome time to hang with everybody so my name is alexander petikov i'm a filmmaker and a cryptozoology researcher uh, you have a YouTube channel called Sasquatch Out of the Shadows. We do a live stream every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern, and I do videos, various explorations around New England and other places. I also am a filmmaker with Small Town Monsters, as well as Chasing Legends. So uh, that's sort of the, the bio, yeah. Awesome. And uh, Tate, go right ahead. Introduce yourself, man. I am Tate Hieronymus. I host the Bluff Creek Project podcast. Um, I am an amateur filmmaker as well. Not to say Alex is an amateur. <laughs> Sorry, Alex. But no, I do that. And um, that's, I'm no relation to Bob Hieronymus, the infamous guy who claimed to wear the Patterson-Gimlin costume in the famous film. Fantastic. And Greg, go right ahead. Uh, introduce yourself as well. I'm just a humble moderator here. <laughs> I'm Greg. I run uh, All the Weird on Instagram. I do uh, some podcasting on Star Wars for Order 66. And um, I'm spending a lot of time on this clubhouse thing. So stay, uh, stick around and uh, see what the fun is about. 
Amazing, amazing. Yeah, Order 66 is a great Star Wars podcast. Definitely check that out if you're into Star Wars. And of course, I'm Jeremiah. I'm the host of the Bigfoot Society podcast. Definitely check that out. We have a good time. We've got uh, Dr. Uh, Jeff Meldrum on the podcast next week. And of course, uh, we'll be chatting for a while here, but start thinking about questions. And in a little bit, uh, we will be opening up uh, two questions, so you can ask uh, Tate or Alex uh, what their thoughts on uh, your question about uh, f- gear to use in the field when you're going out to look for cryptids. So let's go ahead and we'll get started, guys. So um, let's start with, uh, do you mind sharing what your favorite piece of equipment to use in the field is? Alex, I'll start with you. Sure. Yeah, that's a that's a tough question. I mean, there's so much equipment. I feel like when you're just out in the woods, whatever the environment may be, uh, you know, we're talking about basics. Obviously, having comfortable clothing and uh, sufficient boots, you know, that kind of stuff. Especially if you're out in the wilderness, whatever. But when it comes to tech, my personal favorite type of gear, and I don't always get to deploy it or even bring it sometimes, but it would have to be a drone. So, I think drones have just opened up such a new avenue for not only filmmakers but researchers i mean they're using a lot of different businesses you can use it for pipeline uh, inspection you know where you wouldn't have to send a crew in all sorts of stuff monitoring wildlife populations not as invasive perhaps i mean except for maybe the sound so when it comes to bigfoot research and i guess cryptid research it's just an awesome tool one of my favorite uses of the drone so i have one of the dji drones and it's you know primarily used for filmmaking but it's really good and my favorite part of you know deploying a drone is basically just sending it up let's say before i go into an area that i don't know you know i might have a map i may have an idea of what the trails are like or what the conditions are like but i don't know what it looks like you know maybe you've seen a picture but that's just not the same as seeing with your own eyes so so deploying a drone let's say over an area where there's some rocky terrain i can just look at it right on the screen capture my video and then watch it right on my phone you know when i'm not flying the drone or just watch it real time and get an idea for what terrain there is. I can say, well, hey, there's this pond here. Maybe I'll set my marker and I'll go to there and I'll see if there's been anything. I can find any tracks. You know, maybe there's been moose or deer or something. I can kind of see who's been going to the watering hole. So that's just such an awesome feature with the drone is just being able to just get a bird's eye view that, I mean, even 10, 15 years ago, you never would have been able to really have that opportunity, I guess, unless you had a helicopter, which is obviously a lot a lot more difficult to to deploy but the drone i mean they're getting so tiny now there's going to be a point in the next couple of years where they're going to fit like in your jeans pocket but um the drones now are so small i just have the the dji mavic pro and i can just stow it right in my backpack with my other gear you know i can have water bottles and everything else that i need and have my drone in there now as i mentioned i don't always get to deploy it simply because sometimes the weather conditions are not ideal i mean if it's a crazy blizzard or a downpour i'm obviously not going to fly the drone I have flown it in those kinds of uh, conditions before, at least with my old drone. And um, yeah, I've had some some interesting results. The drone hands up, holds up pretty well, but I had a mishap in Louisiana this past October where I, the first time I'd ever removed obstacle avoidance on the drone and I managed to crash it into a tree and it landed on the one piece of dry land in the bayou, uh, which was amazing. And I actually managed to save it and it's still fine. I still use it. So I would just have to say, yeah, the drone. And, and uh, one thing I should mention about drones is there's now, uh, with DJI and other companies as well, that do uh, FLIR attachments. So FLIRs, which I'll talk about it later on, are forward-looking infrareds. And these are 
thermal cameras that are absolutely wonderful. I mean, they, they're originally developed for military use, but civilian use now, I mean, you can use them to see heat signatures basically of things that are in the woods. So wildlife, whatever the case may be. So you have these drones now where the cameras can be coupled with FLIR technology. So, I mean, at night, that's just a, such a great tool to have. You can see animals that are moving about and as drones get smaller and quieter and more advanced, I mean, I think it's just going to be such a useful tool going forward as well, where you're going to get to the point where pretty much everyone, should they want a drone, will be able to get one. I mean, now, you know, they're still kind of pricey, but there's still some really affordable drones out there. But it's going to get to a point where drones are going to be like little GoPros. I mean, you can just throw them right in your backpack. You can have five of them. You can deploy them into different areas. I mean, I'm really excited to see where that takes us down going in the future. So, yeah, drone is my favorite piece of equipment. Uh, awesome. Uh, I especially love the drones that are coming out with the thermal. Uh, you're starting to see those in a lot of the shows I've noticed. Uh, Tate, I'm curious, what is your uh, favorite piece of gear when you're going into the field? If you could chat about that for a bit. I actually have a few uh, favorite pieces of equipment, if that's good. Yeah, go ahead, man. Yeah, so I agree with Alex. I, I love the drones. I have a couple of drones myself and like Alex said, they're really good for kind of scouting out an area and kind of seeing where, you know, things are that you're unfamiliar with. And you can also get a sense of where animals might be. If there's a clear opening, you can see deer from it. And uh, and it, it's a good non-invasive way to not scare off animals by using drones. So I really like them for that reason. And then um, I actually have a friend when I was up at... Uh, in the bluff creek drainage area last year he has a drone it has like the spot the spotlight on it and it has like a speaker system so you could talk into the microphone like talking to the controller and it also has a uh, thermal camera on it which is super cool so definitely using a drone with a thermal camera is you can cover a lot more ground and it it adds a little bit di different um method to research in the field so yeah drone is one of my favorites and then another one is like what alex said again the fleer f-l-i-r i think they're based in santa barbara california i have a fleer scout tk which those on amazon are about 500 dollars. so anybody getting into researching bigfoot or any cryptids can buy one on amazon for 500 bucks so and they're really nice and i think it was like 300 feet away you can see in the dark so those are really cool. Um, to mention a few honorable mentions of FLIR footage, I have captured some in Southern California. Um, Barcatino, who has been on Finding Bigfoot a couple times, he's captured some in the Sierras of Southern California, about Southern California, I would say. And then um, Stacy Brown Jr. in Northern Florida has he got some of the best thermal footage of these things um another piece of equipment i like are trail cameras um the bluff creek project which i work with in northern california um we utilize those trail cameras all around the patterson gimlin film site and we've gotten some amazing photos of mountain lions and bears and foxes and we even captured uh, footage and video of uh, the Humboldt Martin, which was thought to be extinct in the area, but due to our trail camera project, we were able to prove that those Martins still live in the area and they're not extinct. 
That is, I mean, the the whole thing that the Bluff Creek project is doing with the cameras is just is really really cool. Uh, if you guys haven't heard about that in the audience, you definitely need to need to check that out further. Um, I'm I'm curious, and I want to make sure. Um, some people in the audience might have a question about this is so if we're looking into getting a, a drone um, maybe a, a beginner drone is there a uh, a make and model something that's maybe inexpensive that you might be able to recommend um, dgi maybe or uh, any thoughts on that the mavic mini is pretty cheap it's like 500 dollars, give or take okay so that's it's a great drone great quality video and it's relatively cheap it's literally about the same price as the Fleer Scout TK. So if you bought like the Fleer Scout and the Mavic Mini, you'd probably spend about a grand, which that's not bad mm. considering how different, you know, like other thermal cameras can range from two grand and then the Mavic Pros are about two grand as well. Very cool. To Alex, any, any thoughts on that or do your thoughts uh, line up with what Tate said there? Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I think when it in, in terms of uh, consumer grade stuff, DJI pretty much is the gold standard. I mean, there's some other companies coming. There's Parrot. A lot of the other drones, I mean, are you have these kind of racing drones, I guess, where they ca you maybe see those footage of where it's like they're zooming in and out of a canyon or something. Those are a lot, you know, more geared towards, you know, racing and that sort of stuff. Than, and, you know, actually like trick flying as opposed to the DJIs are primarily designed for filmmaking. So there's actually another one, too, which I would recommend called the DJI Spark. It's a very tiny one. And I mean, they sell them for like 400 bucks. Uh, but there are other, you know, off brand ones that you can find. Like, let's say you're too nervous to, um, you know, try out getting a more expensive drone. You could get just like a cheaper one and just kind of practice with it. But at the same time, DJI drones are so easy to fly. I mean, they now they have all sorts of sensors and uh, obstacle avoidance, which is, I learned the hard way, you know, not to turn off uh, and leave off for sustained periods, but they have some, they're just so easy. I mean, you can give them to a child and they can fly it. It's they, they're, they have the stabilization technology. It's absolutely incredible. And, you know, if you're getting closer to an object, like let's say you're getting close to a tree or a wall, it'll start beeping and it'll auto stop for you. So, I mean, it's really, I mean, it's not, uh, super hard to crash one of those. I mean, you can crash them, but it's definitely not, you know, the first time you fly it as, as you know, when I picked up my first DJI drone, oh God, it must've been 2015 or 16, but, you know, I flew it over a grassy field and I only flew 10 feet above me because I was so nervous. I didn't know what to expect really, but it was just super smooth. And now, you know, it's, you can put them in the craziest of situations and still get some awesome footage. And they're just so useful. And just something I wanted to mention too about, coupling it with the FLIR technologies. I mean, people might recall recently seeing the uh, revamped kind of Finding Bigfoot episode that came out. Towards the end of that episode, they used a drone that had some FLIR on it, I believe. And there's also um, the show uh, Extinct or Alive with Forrest Galante, where they've used extensively a couple times looking for these animals that might be extinct. Uh, FLIR equips drones or drones with thermal technology. So those are just some examples that you might see in, you know, on TV. So really cool. Yeah, to go to go along with that, like Alex said, the the DJIs you can literally they'll literally fly themselves. Um, and I definitely recommend if you buy one, practice with it, like in an open field, kind of like what Alex was doing, before you go out in the field with it, because you don't want to lose that in a tree. Um, 
just because they have sensors, you can actually turn that off in a mode, a different mode on the drone. And if you don't have it on, you could crash it very easy. But just definitely practice. Um, I mean, the the big thing with any technology going into the field is get to know your equipment. That way you know what's going on and you know it well when you're in the field in those kind of weird situations when something does happen. That is some there's some amazing pro tips in this uh, this discussion so far. The thing I love love about Clubhouse is that how it's so interactive. Um, and what I'd like to start doing at this time is if anyone in the audience has a question to do with uh, gear used out in the f- the field, like uh, drones, uh, FLIR, trail cam, or maybe they have uh, something they'd want to share themselves about how they've used different gear out in the field, please feel free to uh, raise your hand at this time. Greg will be bringing people up uh, one at a time. And then after, you know, we have our uh, discussion time, then he'll put you back into the audience. So, uh, Greg, I, I see we have our first uh, individual there. Hi, friends. Oh, and feel free to uh, definitely introduce who you are when you come up on stage. Okay. Hi, I'm Kenzie. Hey, Kenzie. Um, I run the Crypto Chats uh, podcast, and I frequent this club on Clubhouse. Um, my question is just, uh, what do you guys think are some good pieces of like really basic gear for someone who might just be starting out? I mean, I, um, FLIR is a really good one. I mean, you can buy attachments for your phone that are only like $200. Um, but like I said, the FLIR Scout TK is a pretty good cheap, uh, thermal camera scope which is nice and it records and takes pictures internally which is also really nice so i think FLIR is a good uh piece of equipment to buy um that's just my opinion i don't know alexander what do you think sure yeah i, I totally agree there's uh, an attachment that you can get for your phone yeah as, as tate was mentioning like 200 300 bucks and it's it's sort of like a lens you can put on your cell phone and going off of that i think Having a good camera is one of the most important things. I mean, you don't know when you're out there and you need to document whether it's just like a cheap point and shoot little uh, digital camera or perhaps it's a uh, your cell phone. I mean, cell phones are getting so great now with the cameras. I mean, you can shoot some really high resolution, 60 FPS. I mean, if, if iPhone users, I don't know anything about Androids, but I know they have some great cameras, too, with the Samsungs and everything else, too. So having that is important because let's say you meet somebody along the road you want to interview like let's say they, they're willing to share their story you can interview them with their phone or you find a track out there you can document it with your phone you know use an object for scale of course i'd recommend a dollar because the dollar is easy to carry you know, a lot of people say bring a ruler out that's preferable but if you can't bring anything else like let's say you find a footprint of a moose or even you know what you think is sasquatch just bring a dollar bill with you you know we know we know exactly how long those are and we can use them as a scale for reference so uh and having the good camera you know whether it's your cell phone iphone camera or like a little digital canon eos or something you know something you can document evidence and maybe even get video with i've actually seen some people take um their walking stick or whatever and just make marks on them um, with a ruler just uh for scale that way yeah, that's really smart, too. I mean, because obviously a U.S. dollar would only 
uh, apply, I mean, in the United States, sure, you might be able to look up how, how big it is. But if you're in another country, you know, use your country's currency. But that sounds like a great idea. Just mark it right on your stick. I even saw one guy uh, take an axe handle and uh, put the markings on it. And he would use the axe handle to do wood knocks with. Utilizing two things for, or one thing for two different things. That is solid. I love that. <laughs> That's awesome. Kenzie, great question. Thank you so much. Uh, any, uh, any other questions we might have from the audience? Also, I'm not going to, uh, so I am going to restate, kind of reset the room. If there's anyone in here that also uses a drone, that they may have some uh, advice about how to use that uh, drone, um, definitely feel free to raise your hand and uh, you can uh, share that as well. But uh, yeah, any other uh, questions, feel free to to uh, do that right now. But um Alex, I got a question for you while we're while we're seeing if anyone else has a question. Um, have you have you heard where uh, some people think that uh, Bigfoots have or Bigfoot have reactions to electronic uh, things such as uh, trail cams that are set up? Have you heard that theory, or do you have any thoughts about that? Tate, you can chime in on that as well. Sure. Yeah, I absolutely have heard that. You know, that's one thing that people talk about in the Bigfoot community say, oh, well, how come we can't get a good trail camera picture? All this sort of stuff. Now, there are, you know, some alleged trail camera pictures. I've seen a few that, you know, are pretty interesting. I mean, it's hard to tell with the trail camera, unfortunately, as it's super clear. I mean, you don't know whether you've got people in a costume or something, whatever, unless there's like more of an investigation. But yeah. One, one thing that's interesting is, you know, you'll do, some trail cameras, they give off infrared, obviously, because that's, you know, how they're seeing at night when a deer walks by, it goes off and lets out a flash. And I've noticed out in the field when I've had, you know, a, a camcorder on that has night vision and, you know, I'm pointing it towards the trail cameras, it's going off. It lets out this absolutely blinding light that, you know, basically just it the whole lens is just taken over with light for that moment when the camera's flashing. So it makes me wonder if animals that have, you know, bioluminescence or, uh, you know, night, uh, what we call eye shine, because essentially, you know, animals like deer, things that are nocturnal, basically operate at night. The reason they can see better than we can is because their eyes reflect the little light that's coming at basically in. So, you know, when you shine a flashlight in the field and you see a deer, you see these glowing eyes, that's, that's eye shine. It's the basically light reflecting. So that allows them to see in the dark a lot better than we are. So some people have thought maybe Sasquatch might have the ability to do that. I don't know. I'm not a biologist or anything along those lines. I certainly don't, um, you know, claim to be or anything, but, uh, just hearing people's stories of, you know, getting their trail cameras knocked over and displaced and, uh, you know, destroyed in some cases makes you wonder if these creatures might sense, you know, electromagnetics or something. I don't know. I mean, I've heard people out there, I've had this happen to me actually where, batteries fresh batteries just go dead i mean i don't know if that necessarily has to do bigfoot perhaps we're in an area where there's a higher deposit of a certain you know type of mineral that might affect uh, you know technology uh, equipment and technology but um there are videos of bears you know basically avoiding the lens of the camera and just kind of sniffing around it because it's like if you were in your room or in your house all of a sudden there was just a big rock or like a, a rock hidden somewhere You'd probably be like, hey, this is not supposed to be in my home, right? So you have to imagine for animals, they know the woods that they live in. They see something that's out of place. They're, they might be curious and go check it out. And there's videos of bears sniffing from the side, and it kind of creates 
just some hair in the side. It makes it look like almost there's something mysterious to it. I mean, perhaps you have that with Sasquatch. I don't know. I, I think we don't have enough good trail camera evidence from something like a Sasquatch to really sufficiently say one way or another. But there's lots of theories. Some people think that uh, they can zap technology. I mean, I don't know. Once you start going down the rabbit hole, there's definitely a lot of different theories and a lot of ideas. But if we're talking about a strictly biological animal, I mean, I don't think that I think they might be able to see the infrared, but not manipulate it. Yeah, I agree. And um, you're talking about trail cameras, and if, I think animals can, you know, kind of see the IR light coming out, which is the infrared light coming out of the trail camera. Um, I wouldn't be surprised at all about that. Um, another thing I found interesting too was on Survivor Man. They he had, he put up a trail camera and it like they went back to get it and it wasn't there. And then they found it. Uh, I can't remember how far away from the tree they put it on. They found it later, um, and they got footage of a bear. And what Les Stroud was saying is that the bears can actually smell the lithium batteries that they put in the trail cameras, and it was probably trying to get at it or something or who knows what it was trying to do. But also these like you know deer and bear and bigfoots have a better um, sense of smell than people do so they could smell something like that probably very easily and also know that there's something not right about this area that that uh i didn't know that fact that um or that theory that bears could uh smell lithium batteries that's very interesting tape very cool um Again, to kind of reset the room, if there are uh, anyone in here that has questions about uh, different types of gear to use while going out into the field to look for different cryptids, feel free to raise your hand if you've got anything to uh, to ask or to add to the conversation. Uh, guys, I had a, a question just come to mind. Let's say there's someone who's like, you know, I want to start going into the field. They're going to start getting a day pack together. What are the bare essentials that these uh, these individuals might want to have in their day pack uh, before they're going out into the field? Anything to uh, that they Toilet should throw paper. in there? <laughs> <Toilet> <laughs> paper. I, I, yes, I number one, number that. one. <laughs> Not toilet paper. <laughs> yeah, that's God always has some toilet paper. It's I just wanted that too, so it's not going to take up much. Oh, it's totally. going to be heavy. I, I just did want to add a really quick story when we were talking about, um, you know, the bears smelling the lithium batteries. Oh, so yeah, yeah. Formaldehyde is actually used in styrene, which is, um, you know, used to make styrofoam. And I actually have a story of a friend, a Bigfoot researcher in New Hampshire here, who had created, he's an artist, a really great artist. He created this styrofoam-looking fake rock where he would put a camera inside, you know, in an attempt to try and get Bigfoot footage. But he had something kept trying to rip it apart until he realized that bears actually can smell formaldehyde and they like that smell so uh it's kind of interesting to know that you know the bears are messing with it i don't know if he got footage of the bears actually messing with it but um it was definitely interesting to see these massive gashes all over this kind of fake rock looking thing i can only imagine the scene seeing that out in the woods but um in terms of a day pack yeah that's a good question i think depends on where you are and depends on what your intentions are. So, you know, if you're someone who's a hiker or into the wilderness, I mean, you're going into some of these remote areas, I think you should have, you know, a med kit, uh, all sorts of stuff that you might need in case you were to get st stuck out there, or get hurt. I mean, people can get hurt every single day 
going about their lives. So I always uh, like the idea of carrying, you know, a tourniquet, uh, just your basic med kit, just to be able to get yourself out of a nasty situation. Um, that's just something I think it should be in any big fitters backpack. Doesn't matter if you're even going out just in the local park, just in case, like if you're bringing a pack, you know, throw that in with your notebook and a pen, you know, so you can write down your observations, uh, or you can record yourself giving off the conditions of what the day is like, the temperature, all that kind of stuff, the scientific data that is basically needed. Um, other tools. I mean, as, as I said, I think it really depends on if you're doing a, a long haul or if it's just a quick stroll, you know, pack some snacks, pack some water, that sort of stuff. It's kind of the basics. Yeah. Like if you're going in for, to study, like you doing like an investigation, um, looking for Bigfoots and you want to go out, you know, hiking. Um, if you're taking notes, take them now, <laughs> but you can always listen to this later. Um, this sounds like a lot, but like I would bring like one of those little, uh, not little, but like bring one of those measuring, uh, some of the measuring tape that you like, you would go get all your, like a, uh, jacket altered or something, bring like a measuring tape. Um, also water is good. Um, and then if you're wanting to do like, like, you know, get calls and or responses, uh, you can bring like a piece of wood or a stick that you can knock on trees. That's also good to carry as a walking stick too. Um, you want good shoes. So that, you know, good ankle support. So you don't like roll your ankle and get hurt. Then you have to have a, somebody come find you. And also like Alex said, um, yeah, first aid kit. And if this allows, I always carry a gun personally, depending on the area I'm in. Um, some people may not use one. Some people do. Um, but the next best thing you can always bring is a can of pepper spray. That's one thing I definitely recommend is pepper spray. Yeah, I mean, I would agree. I would definitely agree. Jeremiah, if you want to say something. I was just going to say, Tate, why would you recommend pepper spray? <laughs> Oh, you know, bears. I mean, uh, it's it's not foolproof, but it's better than nothing. Um, I don't want to come up a, against an angry black bear and have my bare hands to fight it off. So I'd rather have at least some, something. Makes total yeah. sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, I think, again, it comes down to what is in your area. So, I mean, let's say you live in... Uh, in Florida, in the South, as Tate does. When you're out in the woods, you got to be careful for cottonmouth, alligators, that sort of stuff. Some really poisonous snakes. So, I mean, maybe if you are going to bring, you know, a a gun or something, pack some bird shot into a little shell or something for a snake or something like that. But stuff like bear spray, I mean, you can use that pretty much anywhere. Bear spray is more, I mean, pepper spray is great, but bear spray, man, that's like a lot nastier than pepper spray itself. So it it just comes down to your environment. You know what's funny? I looked that up. Because I was wondering, is pepper spray or bear spray worse? And pepper spray is actually, like, way way worse than bear spray. And I'm guessing the reason is because pepper spray, like, used by police is, you know, that's that's not going to feel good on anybody. Or if you use that on an animal, that's going to really hurt an animal. Um, pepper spray is definitely, like, bear spray is a lot less potent and not as strong because you're not really... You don't want to hurt the animal. It's just more of a defense to get distracted and, you know, you know. And uh, like I said, animals sense the smells way more better than ours. It's a lot more stronger than the average human. So 
if you're using like OC spray, like what police use, it's really going to hurt that animal and you don't really want to hurt anything. Yeah. I mean, and, and the thing about bear spray is you, it's more, more coming out at once. So I think in a dose, like bear spray used on humans would actually be, you know, pretty intense because it's a oh, yeah. larger spray nozzle. So that's why, I mean, it's designed for a bear. I mean, if you spray a bear with regular pepper spray, it's just a smaller kind of stream, but anyway, diverting on the topic, I think when you're going out in the woods, you should just know the, the dangers. Like if you live in an area that has mountain lions, you should be aware. I mean, attacks are rare, but they do happen. Just know your wildlife and know what's out there and um, you should be fine. I mean, attacks in general are pretty rare, but that doesn't mean you should take any chances. And definitely let know people where you're going to. Um, and like Alex said, know what the animals are, research the area you want to go into and, and get, like find out the terrain, get a topography map and see what's there. Um, that'll also be a good tip. Fantastic. That's, that's some, that's a lot of stuff worth writing down there. If you've never gone into the woods before, there's some solid, solid advice there. As we're kind of starting to kind of uh, wrap down, wrap up a little bit, um, want to make sure everyone in the room knows if you have a question, now is the time to definitely raise your hand. But uh, Alex and Tate, any uh, maybe final thoughts, uh, closing thoughts on, uh, on the topic that we've been talking about tonight? Yeah, totally. I mean, it doesn't matter really essentially what equipment you have. I mean, obviously a lot of this stuff, it can be expensive. You know, it's something you might have to save up for. I mean, that's totally fine, but do your best. I mean, uh, as I said, bring a note, notepad and some paper and a pen and just write down your observations or, you know, get a video of it because that's just something simple you could do. But the most important thing, I think, when you're out in the woods, out in the field is have a good time. I mean, you're in nature. You're enjoying something that, you know, we're so blessed to have so many beautiful and, and different and diverse types of terrain across you know the United States and North America, I would say more so than even other continents, just so many different types of biomes and environments and just take that all in and enjoy. I mean, not every sound you're going to hear is going to be Bigfoot. So you're going to experience a lot of other things, which is awesome. And that's all part of the fun. And I think the more people we get interested in getting out there and getting into nature, I mean, that's just that, that for me is, is key right there. And I, I'm a nature lover and it's hard not to have a, a smile when you're out in nature. I agree. And to go along with that, I mean, bit, you know, most of the whole Sasquatch when you're out there looking for these things, it you don't really hear anything. So don't be disappointed that you don't because a lot of researchers have been doing it years, won't, will probably go years without hearing one and they'll get skunked out. And that's just kind of the name of the game. And a lot of it is patience. And to be honest, too, you might have gear you might not even think of to like, you might have gear that you might not even uh, thought about using. Like, um, this is fairly common. Um, people, some people play music. They have guitars and amps. Literally, just take that out to an area that you probably know that has sightings, and just play music as loud as you can in the forest, and see what happens. Because, you know, at the end of the day, these creatures are very curious. Um, and so, when you're playing music something that's probably never heard in the forest that much, they'll they'll come in and they'll check it out. And that's when things might get a little interesting around camp or wherever you might be at the time. Mm, some good thoughts, guys. Thank you so much for uh, for listening to the episode tonight, everyone in the audience. And, and Alex, Tate, and Greg, thank you so much for hanging out with me tonight. Um, 
again, uh, if you haven't followed these guys, uh, definitely tap on their uh, profile and uh, give them a follow so that you don't miss any of the discussions that we have in the future. Follow this room. I'm going to go ahead and uh, stop uh, recording at this time here.